Well, it's good to be with you this morning. My name's uh, Kelly Jones. I have been here a couple times before. I uh, am Kip and Kim's dad, and Kathy's over here, and mom, and uh, I kind of fill in every once in a while. I kind of watched that movie last night, The Rookie. How many of you? It was on TV. Remember that? It's a great movie about the guy. I want to... Th- I'd love to try to throw 95. I could throw like 60. So if I could throw 95, that would be a miracle. And, uh, but I always liked that, you know, the old guy. You know, the old guy comes back. And uh, so I kind of felt like when Ken was calling me up, I was like the old guy in the bullpen. Hey, Kel, you know, uh, could you come Sunday? And yeah, sure, Ken, whatever. You know, I'll help you out. So Ken, thanks. I do appreciate the opportunity of coming. This past week, I went to the dentist. And I was filling out the uh, forms you have to fill out. Those are always great. And they ask for your name. And this was the first time I've ever filled out a form that said, I want your first name. Yeah, I want your middle initial. I want your last name. And then they had a space for your nickname at the dentist. So I'm thinking, what do I put down? Like old man, geezer, senile old man. That's what people call me these days. I thought, well, no, I won't, I won't put that down. I didn't really put anything down for that. I just kind of left that one blank. But, you know, growing up, when I was in high school... My, uh, my nickname was Earl. I know you think that's a little weird, but that was my nickname. And that was before My Name is Earl, the TV show. But uh, that was my nickname. And, um, you know, my first name is actually Forrest. And I was one of those kids that was named Forrest. It was my first name, but my whole life I was never called that. And the only good thing about that was that was before Forrest Gump. Because you know, imagine like, run, Forrest, run. I would have heard that forever as a little kid, like, you know, running or whatever in PE or whatever. Run, Forrest, run. I would have just, oh, I would have been crazy. But my middle name was Kelly, so I was called Kelly. The only time I ever was called Forrest was the first day of school. Teacher gets the list of students, remember that? And they can go through the list and make sure everybody's there. And they would say, Forrest Jones. And I'd, everybody would look around like, who's that? And I would have to raise my hand and go, it's Kelly. Now, when you're a little kid and your name's Kelly, and I was kind of chubby in those days, back in the old days, like in the 60s, they had pants size they called huskies. Remember those? Yeah, if you're my age, you know what I'm talking about. I wore huskies, okay? And so if your name's Kelly, my nickname, well, some, for some students, was I got called Kelly the Belly. So cruel. The kids that called me that, I pounded those kids. Well, not really. I wanted to pound them. But, uh, but I didn't really. But anyway, you say, where is he going with this? My nickname was Earl because in high school, my favorite player in the NBA was Earl the Pearl Monroe. How many of you guys remember Earl the Pearl? Everybody over 50. Great. Hey, Earl the Pearl was the man. And he, he was my hero growing up. And so... You know how it is when you're a kid and, you know, you'd watch your favorite player and I'd be watching Earl the Pearl play and then I'd go out in the driveway and, and I would try to like mimic his moves. And he had like the spin move and he was the first guy who kind of did the double pump floater through the key and I would go out and I would just work on all these moves trying to be like Earl the Pearl Monroe. There's a lot of differences between me and Earl the Pearl. Earl the Pearl's 6'3", I'm 5'8". Earl the Pearl can jump, I'm white. And I have a white man's disease. Earl of Pearl is rookie year in the NBA, averaged 25 points a game. In three games, Earl of Pearl scored 75 points on average. That's more than I scored my senior year in high school on the basketball team. So there was a lot of, you know, I wasn't quite the same as Earl of Pearl. But there's one thing I learned. And I learned this about um, 
trying to learn by someone else's example. And what I learned is this. More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. We learn a lot more by watching somebody live it out than we ever do by reading about it. I mean, I don't know about you. I could have read every book on Earl Monroe there ever was written, every article in Sports Illustrated, and it's not the same as actually watching him play, watching him perform. You say, why am I saying that? I'm only saying that to say this. As we go through 1 Peter today, as we continue in this series that you guys started several weeks ago, I want you to think about this. Peter's going to talk to us about this. He's going to talk to us about people who don't just talk a good game, but people who live a good game. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Jesus said almost the same thing on the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, Let your light shine before men, so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. St. Francis of Assisi, he had it right when he said this, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. So today we want to look at this. We want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can look it up. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 13 through 25. And what we're going to see today is this, is that example is everything. Example is everything. Two areas of our daily life Peter's going to discuss with us this morning. We're going to see his, his insight. We're going to look at you know, what Peter writes to us and says to us today. Here's how you should live your life to set a good example in a community that maybe doesn't look upon Christianity the way we would like for them to. How can we like quiet the critics? Peter's going to tell us how to do that today. First of all, he says this in verses 13 through 17. He says, Set an example in your community. Notice what he says, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Peter's basically saying, set an example in your community of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ by basically being this. Be a good citizen. That's what he says. He says, be a good citizen. The idea here, he uses the word submit. It means to submit to the laws of the land. It literally means, it's a military term, to line up underneath someone else's authority. And so what Peter's telling us basically today is, listen, he says, God has placed authorities over you in society. If you want to be a good example, if you want to be a good witness, then live under those authorities. I see a lot of students here today. That could be your teacher. Don't you love that? Yeah. That's what it's talking about. Anyone God has placed in authority, it could be your teacher. Paul said almost the same thing in Romans 13.1. He says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. He says, there is no authority except what God has established. Why am I doing this? He said, submit yourself for the Lord's sake. The motivation is this. He's basically saying, listen, as you live under the authority that God has put over you in the country that you might live, 
is you honor those laws, if you live underneath those, you basically are doing it because when you do that, you're doing it to please Jesus Christ in your life. You're doing it because you're going to do it for him, because that's what he wants you to do. It's interesting, when Peter wrote this, the Roman emperor was either Claudius or Nero. Neither one was Christian friendly. If you know about Nero, he was crazy. He took Christians and basically used them as human candles in his garden, just for sport. And yet Peter would say, live under that authority in a way that would honor Jesus Christ. It's interesting, if you notice verse 15, he says, for by doing it, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant of false, uh, foolish men. Christians had their critics, even in Peter's day. They had those people who brought false, false accusation against what Christians were all about. It's similar to our own day. People who try to live for Christ, the Christian community has critics, has people who pick at what we say and, and how we live and what we do and all these misunderstanding of what Christianity is really all about. We have our critics today how do we silence those people? Peter basically says, live in a way that honors Jesus Christ by being a good citizen. That's what he says. So if you want to set a good example in your community, apply verse 17. Just underline verse 17 in your Bible. Four simple principles there, just apply those. Look what he says. First of all, he says this, show respect to everyone. That includes your, your crazy, left-wing, right-wing, party-hardy neighbor who's crazy. He says, show them respect. You know, to the parents today, I just would challenge you. One of the great character qualities you should zero in on with your children is respect. They need to learn respect. Respect of authority. Respect of the police. The respect of the fire department. The respect of their teachers. The respect of their coach. So much disrespect being shown in the young community today. The young culture today is all about disrespect. One of the great character qualities kids can have today is, is respect. So work on that one. It's not easy. Society's telling them to disrespect everything. But demonstrate it in your own life. Show respect to the people who deserve respect, and even those who don't. That's the greatest way to teach your kids. Show respect to everyone. Then he says, love the brotherhood of believers. You know, people today see us as Christians as haters. They don't even see us as, as people who love. And the reason for that is we don't even love each other. We don't love one another. And not just the people in our own church, but how about all the other churches around? I read about a man who wrote that he was walking across a bridge one day when he saw a man standing on the edge of that bridge ready to jump off. And so he ran over and he said, stop, don't do that. And the guy said, why shouldn't I? And he said, there's so much to live for. And he goes, like what? He said, well, are you religious or atheist? And he said, religious. I said, me too. Are you Christian, Buddhist, or Muslim? He said, Christian. I said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant, I said. He said, me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He said, Baptist. I said, wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? <laughs> he said, Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God or Reformed Baptist Church of God? He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. I said, are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879, or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1915? He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1915. I said, die, heretic scum, and I pushed him off. 
It's so sad that that sometimes it's true. We just build walls and walls and barriers and barriers and we don't like this, we don't like that and we criticize this and we criticize that. And the community outside looks at us as believers and says, who are these people? I don't want to be associated with that. And so he says, love the brotherhood of all believers. And then he says, fear God. And the idea that is have a reverence for God. You know, I found that sometimes people outside the church fear God more than we do. And one of the churches I served as a youth pastor, we got robbed one uh, night, and that morning I was there, and, and the policeman came, and he was checking out the stuff that was stolen, some electronic equipment. And then, you know how that goes, and Ken, you can understand this, when you're a minister and you get talking to people, pretty soon they want to tell you their story. So this policeman starts telling me, he said, you know, when I was growing up, I'm not proud of myself, he said, but I, w- I was a stealer. I stole things. And I was going, oh, yeah, that's okay. You know, and I was just, you know, going along. And then he said to me this, he goes, but I never stole from a church. <laughs> and then he looks at me and he goes, you're messing with the wrong guy doing that. And I thought to myself, here's a guy who at least has a fear of God. He understands you're messing with the wrong guy. The school that I work at, guys are always swearing and they always use the word Jesus Christ. And they would, uh, they'd say it and then they'd look at me and they'd go, oh, I'm sorry. They say that to me. I'm sorry, Kelly. And I'd say, hey, man, don't be sorry to me. I'm not the one you got to worry about. <laughs> I love that. And then I always take him to the Ten Commandments, you know, Exodus 20. I always said, you, remember it says you should not take the Lord thy God's name in vain? They go, yeah, I know. I know it says that. I said, have you read the rest of that verse? And they go, no. What does it say? I go, it says, he will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. I love that part. And so, Peter says, hey, show respect to everyone. He says, love the brotherhood of believers. He says, fear God. And then look at the last thing he says. He says, honor the king. You know, for us, for us, that would be our president. For us, that would be our governor. It would even be our mayor. Those involved in our community. So he says, honor the king. You know, coming up with the election year, we have Obama, we have Clinton, we have um, McCain, or we have a new president. And it doesn't matter, you can turn that off. <laughs> she can't find it. I love this. This is so funny. There we go. Just wanted to point you out. No problem. <laughs> hey, d- hey, don't feel bad. Last Sunday, or two Sundays ago, my own church I was speaking, and our pastor's wife phone went off in the front row. And man, I just ridiculed her. I mean, I just let her have it. Oh, way to set a good example for the rest of the people. You know, it was just funny. So I, I won't point you out. But hey, coming up, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a new president. And you know, it doesn't matter where we all stand politically, and no matter where we are, who we're gonna vote for. You know what the you know what the Bible says? The Bible says you want to be you want you want to set a good example. Then honor the king, no matter who it is. Show respect and honor to that person. I remember, like, it was a long time ago, there were um, presidential campaigns were going on, elections were going on, and there was one guy that was running, and, and we had some really funny jokes about this guy. And, and so you know how that is. You kind of have family jokes. I mean, you have family jokes. Family jokes aren't pulpit jokes all the time, you know what I'm saying? You say them to your family, maybe a few friends, and you laugh about it. Well, we had some family jokes, and so what happened was, I think Kip was in third or fourth grade. We went to parent-teacher conference, me and Kathy, and so we're there, and we're talking to the teacher, and then the teacher says to us, 
yeah, Kip told some of your jokes in class the other day. I was like, oh, please. You have got to be kidding me. He goes, yeah, he thought they were funny, so he thought he'd tell the whole class. I just wanted to die. I'm serious. I mean, they were funny, <laughs> you know. But I didn't want to say, hey, come to my church, you know, either. You know, because they weren't that kind of joke. So I gave Kip a whipping. No, I didn't really, but... But they understand the point. He says, hey, you want to be a good citizen? Consistently show honor to those who, who deserve respect because of their position. And so he set an example in your community. Notice secondly, in verses 18 through 20, he's going to challenge us to set an example at work, where we work. Look what he says. How do I do that? Verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain and unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing God and you endure it, for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. I think we need to keep in mind when Peter wrote these words, there was an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. They were, they were the complete workforce. They were the servants. Some were educators. Some were um, doctors. Some were treated well by their masters and some weren't. A Roman statesman, Cato, said this. He said, old slaves should be thrown on a dump. And when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It's not worth your money. I'm glad I didn't work, I live then. <laughs> but it's interesting. The New Testament deal, teaches us how to deal, how to live for God no matter what political system we're under doesn't matter. doesn't matter if it's a democracy or communism or a dictatorship. It basically tells us how to live in a way that would set an example and be a witness for Christ. How many of you would say here today that your employer treats you like a slave? Anybody? Yeah. Kim, I didn't ask you to stand. You can sit down, okay? You know, you could, you could write this text this way. You could say, employees, submit yourself to your employer, to your boss, with all respect. Not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. There's other words we could translate for harsh, but this is a G-rated sermon. In other words, it says, it doesn't matter if your boss treats you well. It doesn't matter if your boss is nice to you. Your boss could totally be a person that you just dislike and is totally unfair. And God says here, you treat them with respect and with honor. But let's be real. It's okay to get another job. It's okay. But the difference would be this. When you leave, you leave with respect. You leave with respect. We want to get in the last word. We like to take that last parting shot as we go out the door. No matter if, they, if we get treated bad or we get treated unfairly at a workplace and we get a new job and we're excited to leave, we're just waiting for that last opportunity just to slam them, let them know what we think. And we're just going to go out of there and we're going to let them have it. And that's totally opposite of what God would have us do. It's totally opposite of the witness Christ would want us to be. Noah says, hey, you show them respect and honor even if they don't deserve it. 
My wife Kathy left a job where she you know, was under a lot of stress and it was a job where a lot of things weren't going right and, and we weren't treated fairly a lot of times and she got a new job. She had every opportunity just to walk out of there and just blast away at the end and she decided, you know, I'm not doing that. Maybe I feel like it, I want to do it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go out, I'm going to treat the people there with respect and leave. God gave her a new job, a lot better situation, we're so thankful for that. And she had a chance to see her boss at, at an event. And this wasn't the, her direct boss. It was another, her, the main boss. And, and, and she had a good conversation. And she said to, to me, she said, you know, I'm so glad that I left in a good way because we just had a good conversation and nothing there. No barrier, nothing that I wish I never would have said. Because one day you might have an opportunity to witness to those people. And if you blow it away, and if you blast it at them, if you just let them have it in, in the flesh, in your sinful nature, that opportunity just went out the door. And so Peter would say to us, he would challenge us today. He says, hey, set a good example at your work. I remember growing up in, um, in Washington. I, I went to school in Oregon, moved back to Seattle. My first job was in a, as a youth pastor in Kirkland, and that was when the Seahawks started, 1976. I've been a Seahawk fan ever since. What a curse. What a, we got to the Super Bowl once, though. Yeah, that's better than the Mariners. That's another curse. <laughs> Every year, this is our year, this is our year. I'm not going to live 100 years like the Cubs, you know. I'm not going to be able to live it long enough. But in the early days of the Seahawks, we had Jim Zorn. He was our quarterback, if you remember him. And we had Steve Largent, and we had Sherman Smith. And, and, and most of the main stars of the Seahawks were all believers, they all had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember reading a story in Sports Illustrated that said riding on the team playing with the Seahawks was like being in a Sunday school class. You know, with the Raiders and all their craziness going on and, and their team playing, you get in a Seahawk playing, it's like, wow, what's this? People reading their Bibles, you know, and praying, little Bible groups, prayer, you know, I don't know what's going on, but it's like Sunday school. And I remember reading in a Campus Life magazine about Jim Zorn. And in the article, it was referring to Zorn. He shared this story. He said, yeah, I went from having no money, because he was, you know, being on our new team, didn't get drafted and all those kind of things. Yeah, I went from having no money to having a lot of money. And he said, to guard against me just spending my money unwisely, he said this. He said, I always leave my wallet in my car when I go into a store to buy something. Because then if I see something that I want, I have to walk out to my car and get my wallet and walk back. And usually, if I don't really need it, I just get in my car and drive off. How many of you think your wife should do? No, I'll let that one go. Yeah, get your hands down, okay? No. And I thought, well, that's a cool story, you know? So I'm in the Christian bookstore in Bellevue, Washington, with a kid in my youth group. And we're there looking around. And all of a sudden, I'm looking in the store, and there is Jim Zorn, Seahawk quarterback. And we're going, hey, hey, look, man, that's Zorn. So we're kind of watching him. You know, when he comes up to the counter, he had like a book and some cards. And I'll never forget this. He walked up and, and he just kind of said something to the lady and he set him down. I saw him walk out the door. And I remember this article. As I went to the window and I was watching him. Just, I was watching him, kind of peeping him, staring him down. You know what I mean? You know, I'm glad he didn't think, who is that guy? He's weird. Okay, but I'm watching Zorn. He goes out to his car. He opens it up and I had a great angle to it. And I saw him. He had a little Volkswagen bug. He opened up, I saw him pull down the glove box, reach in, grab his wallet, walk back in, walk up to the counter and buy just like three cards and a book and walk out. And I said to myself, he lives it out in his everyday life, exactly like the article said. 
He's a man of his word. I thought, what a great example. And so he said, Peter goes, hey, set an example in your community. Set an example at your work. And then Peter's going to do this. He's going to tell us, I'm going to give you the ultimate example to follow. And he says, follow the example of Christ. Look at verse 21. He says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's interesting, verse 21 is a key text that motivated the classic book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps. And In His Steps is a classic book. It's, it's about a self-satisfied congregation in a small Midwestern church that were challenged by a tramp who came into their Sunday service. And that tramp dies in their midst. And they were so moved. And the minister and his congregation, they made a pledge to live their lives for one year, asking themselves the question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I thought, what a radical idea. Somebody ought to make a bracelet with that on it. I have one, actually. Went to the archives and found it. WWJD. You know what's sad is that phrase is so, how many think that phrase is so overused? Yeah, it's so overused. It's so commercialized. It's WWD everything. It's even become kind of cheesy to me. Christian cheese. I just made that word up. You can use it. Feel free. You probably don't want to, but it's okay. I actually saw a cartoon with a teenage boy standing in front of a refrigerator with the door wide open, and under the cartoon it was WWJE. What would Jesus eat? It's so overused. It's so commercialized. It's so cheesy. But let me say this. It's so biblical. It's so biblical. Charles Sheldon, who wrote that book, I went online, I looked him up, and I found this out, that he lived it out in his daily life. It wasn't just a great novel that he wrote that he made a lot of money on. Just the opposite of that. His freshman year in college, he met this man, Lee Wong, his Chinese laundryman. And Sheldon founded the first Chinese Sunday school just for laundrymen in his community, helping them to learn English by studying the Bible. He took a church in Topeka, Kansas. And when the town was hit with the economic depression, he put on old clothes and went job hunting like everyone else in his church, shoveling snow on railroad tracks for nothing. In 1892, he started the first black kindergarten west of the Mississippi River in Topeka, Kansas. He volunteered to spend a week in jail, which resulted in the local prison reform. His fight against prejudice was highlighted in 1939 by his outcry against the Nazi persecution of the Jews, when no one else was really saying anything. And because of a mix-up in copyright, the book In His Steps went into public domain, and Sheldon received practically no royalties for it. But whatever he did receive, he gave it to charity. Well, you could say about Charles Sheldon, he could never be accused of this. Nothing is more confusing than people who have good advice but set a bad example. 
Nothing is more confusing than people who have a good advice but set a bad example. He wrote a book, then he lived it out in his life on a daily basis. So Peter gives us the great example. He says, hey, the example is to be like Jesus. He says, you know, you don't go insult for insult. You don't go threat for threat. Instead, you trust yourself to God. And you ask God, God, give me patience through this situation. And you know what's interesting to me is this. Peter saw Jesus act this way. He was there. He saw Jesus when they hurled insults at him. He saw Jesus, how he handled the Roman soldiers. He saw all of that. Meanwhile, when Peter was asked, are you one of his disciples? Weren't you one of the followers of Jesus? I can tell by your voice, your accent. Weren't you one of his followers? What did Peter do? He lied three times. And so when Peter throws out Jesus as the ultimate example, he knew what he was talking about. WWJD, what would Jesus do? I was waiting for some meds in Walmart, kind of a crazy time. And um, I went there and gave him my med thing. And it was one of those deals where they have to sign up and said it's going to be a two-hour wait. And I just had some tooth work done. And so I needed these meds. And the doctor said, you got about an hour or two, and this is going to wear off. And so I'm thinking two hours. And so I tell the lady, you know, I kind of need these a little earlier than two hours. She says, well, I'll put you on the critical list. I don't know what that means, but I said, great. She goes, they'll do it earlier. Sweet. I'm going, that's awesome. So I'm waiting around. Meanwhile, I watch this older guy, older than me. And he's getting agitated. I mean, he's getting pretty well ticked off. So he goes up there and he says, hey, I need my medication. The lady goes, I'm sorry you have to wait like everybody else. He goes, I've been waiting for an hour. She goes, well, you're, you're still going to be a while for you. And she goes, I can give you back and you can go somewhere else. No, I don't want to go anywhere else. And he goes, I need my medication and I need it now. And then he walks away and he looks at me. He had a crazy look. Seriously. I've seen craziness and this guy had it. He had some craziness going, and he sat down, and, he was just, and I could see inside of him. He was fuming. I go, we're going to have an incident at Walmart. <laughs> we are. And I'm kind of drugged out, and my tooth was hurting. You know, I'm not feeling like I want to step in. And then he gets up again, and he goes back, and he goes, I want your supervisor. He just goes off on this lady. And she tried to act pretty professional, better than I would have done. And I thought to myself, I saw he had a bracelet on. And then I zeroed in on that bracelet. I was just hoping it wasn't what? WWJD. Not a good testimony right here. Going crazy on this lady. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm in the critical list, right? Yeah, hour and a half later, I finally get my meds, and I tried to be really nice. I worked at it like, thank you very much. <laughs> you know. <laughs> See, my face is swollen. No. But it's so true in our daily life. Think about it. Think about how easily we get offended, how easily we get upset, how rude we can be sometimes at restaurants. I know Christians that would be rude at restaurants, you know, that someone would like be a little late, the food wouldn't quite be right or whatever, and they would go off on that person, just let them have it, and then try to leave a track. Oh, yeah, I bet the lady picked it up and went, oh, I'll read this. <laughs> Oh, that was a testimony. Or let's pray together. Where's my food? <sighs> I mean, think about it. Peter's throwing it out there, and he's basically saying, hey, listen. Think about where you live. 
He says, set an example in your community. Set an example at where you work. Deal with people with respect. Follow the example of Christ. You know what the world needs today is, is good examples. I'm convinced of that. I have a book I've been reading. It's called I'm Fine With God. It's Christians I Can't Stand. You should read that book. I challenge you to read that. It's basically true, unfortunately. We do some crazy stuff. We act craziness sometimes. So we need good examples. Paul told the Corinthian believers, he said this, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12, Don't let anyone look down on you, on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. He told Titus in Titus 2.7, In everything, set them an example. Peter later on in this book, in chapter 5, verse 3, he's going to tell the elders, he says, Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And remember, there's only one perfect example who ever lived. And I'm right here before you. <laughs> there's only one perfect example, and that was two. That was Jesus. That's it. God's not telling us, hey, be perfect. No, God's saying, hey, be real. If you make a mistake, own up. If you do something that you need to apologize for, go apologize. Make things right. Live in a way that honors me. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm just asking you to set a good example. I want to close with verse 25. Kind of zero in on that. What a great ending to this passage. Look what Peter writes. He says, For you were like sheep going astray, and now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know, Jesus wants to be your shepherd today. He wants to look out for you. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He loves you so much. He wants to be the overseer. He wants to be the shepherd of your soul. And what he says here is this. It's so interesting. He says, hey, he tells these people who is reading this letter, you've gone astray, but now you've come back. I don't know where you're at today, but maybe you've gone astray. Maybe you're just kind of out there, and you've just been seeking. Maybe you... One time had a relationship, you were closer with God and you had a relationship with Christ and you've kind of left that. It's kind of gone cold and kind of gone dry, kind of gone stale in your life. And you're kind of out there and you would be honest today, you would say, that would be me. I'm like the sheep and I've gone astray. And you know what Jesus says to you? Jesus says, hey, come back. Come back. I want to watch over you. I want to protect you. I want to love you. I want to give you that joy in your life. The testimony today so encouraged me just to see that over a process, just giving your life to Christ, just trust in Him. He is the protector. He is the overseer of your soul. He wants what's best for you. He'll take you back no matter what, no matter where you've been. That's who He is. That's the example that He is. That's how much He loves us. Let's pray. With your head bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I just want you to do this. If you're here today and, and, and you just have gone astray, you're just kind of letting it go cold, you're kind of not committed to anything, maybe the Lord has just spoken to you and Jesus has said to you today, I love you, I want you back, I want to have that relationship with you, 
I'll forgive you of whatever you've done, whatever's holding you back, man. I'll take it away. I'll work with you where you're at in life. And slowly, I will help you become the person you need to be. Just come back to him today. Just tell him, you know, Lord, I want to come back. I just need to come back to you. I was better when I was with you than I am when I'm by myself and on my own. Just come back to him this morning. The challenge to all of us today is just to be a good example. You know, as a parent, none of us are perfect. None of us do everything right. We don't have, always have the right answers to our kids and their situations. But, you know, I challenge you as parents today, just work at being a good example of what it is to be a believer. Remember that nothing is more confusing than people who have good advice but set a bad example. So ask God to help you today. Lord, I just pray for all of us today. We all live in a, in a world that, um, in a lot of ways, we think is out to get us. It's so contrary to how we think and how we're supposed to think. And we cu- get caught up in the, the mindset of the world around us. And we get caught up with anger and our sinful nature being in control. And so often we do blow it. We do make mistakes. We do say things we don't really mean or we do mean at the time. And, we, and then we feel bad, Lord. And just help us to be real. If we need to apologize, Lord, give us the the courage to go and make things right. Lord, I know that being an example is not easy, but it's how you'd want us to live our life. So give us those opportunities in our community. Give us those opportunities at work that we might be a witness for you. That we might be able to share the love of Christ just by how we live each day. Thank you for Peter's words today. In Jesus' name, amen.